Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Brawl 22, the Brawl Network's new national NFL podcast. Our weekly big show is here, and we are super excited to talk to guest Ross Simmons, a digital media expert and massive NFL fan. We are super excited to get to what he's got. As always, the Brawl 22 crew, it's me, Ty Schalter, Michael Shotty, and Samantha Bunton. And we are going to go long on all the big topics and big issues facing the league today. Uh, Samantha, what do you want to talk about first? Actually, Ty, I'm very yes. curious. Um, you are a contributor at 538, and I have been watching and just really riveted by these playoff odds that they've been putting out there. So we've all seen, I think if you've seen it, it's been all over the place, percentages where they talk about, you know, this team has this percent chance. So if you're, say, the Browns, they're saying right now that you have a 93% chance of making the playoffs at this point, based on essentially, I believe, simulations going forward right. that sort of let them know how this would work and what your odds would be in a way that's not just about, well, you have two games left and the strength of schedule, degree of difficulty of those games is X. It's more complex than that. So, but I would love to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit on this. Ty, if you could kind of tell us a little bit about how the formula works um, or whatever you can share that's not proprietary, it's sort of how do you arrive at these conclusions? How do you reach these percentages um, for what your chances are? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of like the political predictions, right? The percent is a representation of for every time they've run the simulation, how many times it comes out with that probability. So they take the strength rating, the rankings, and I'll explain those in a second. And they run 50,000 simulations of the season, given everything that's happened already and what the schedule is matching up teams against teams, right? Um, so, but then they also incorporate quarterback play. Uh, so they, so the, the rankings themselves are what's called ELO. It's a very common um, relative strength measurement, basically based on who beat who. Right. So they do that in chess forever. Like if you look up like chess grandmaster rankings, they're ELO rankings. If you play competitive video games online, if you play esports, if you're playing, you know, uh, Rainbow Six Siege, if you're playing Call of Duty, if you're playing, you know, whatever, Valorant, whatever, they're ranking things based on, well, when we these two played, who beat who and who beat who and who beat who and who beat who, and who, beat who all the way down the line. Um, so the, the odds that you're seeing, the URL is projects.538.com slash 2020-NFL-predictions. They've actually put the updated list on the end of each of my columns for the past few weeks. So if you just Google 538 Ty Shalter, click on whatever's the newest, scroll to the bottom, you'll see them. Um, Shameless plug. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, we gotta do what we gotta do, man. <laughs> but it's 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 right there. So if you choose, you can actually then, like Samantha said, you can actually choose your own results. So if I'm looking at the Browns right here, um, 93% chance to make the playoffs, 27% chance to win the division, can't get the first round by, uh, but do have a two percent chance to win the Super Bowl. Okay, they're playing at the Jets. You click once to make it win, boom. Now the Browns are eleven and four. They hand a loss to the Jets and they rerun all the simulations knowing that, adjust the ratings and then adjust the future matchups. You can actually see the percentages will change a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and then they'll settle down as it's running the simulations in real time and updating with the information that you give it, right? Because a Browns team that beat the Jets is slightly stronger than a Browns team that doesn't have that win under its belt. If you click again, it goes to a loss. Now, not only does that drop them to 10 and five, drops their chances to making the playoffs to 68%, also weakens them ELO-wise relative to everybody else. Hand them another loss to Pittsburgh, and it drops to 38, 37, 38, 37. It's running all these simulations and trying to even out. Okay, well, then what are the other things? Oh, well, then that hands the Steelers a win, right? If they lose in week 17 to the Steelers, the Steelers pick up that win. And that happens automatically when you click on the thing. So you can kind of go through the permutations and go, all right, well, if this team wants to play spoiler and wins out, what does that do? If this team wins its remaining two games, what does that do? Okay, what if only the home teams win. And you can kind of see how things shake out. You can also see how divisions affect things because, uh, you know, football team is halfway through these ELO ratings. And um, uh, those are both AFC games that didn't affect anything. 73% chance to win the division. Okay. Um, and then the Giants way down here, the Giants at 1394 are the fifth from the bottom in terms of overall strength, but they still have a pretty good shot to make the playoffs at 11%. If they beat the Ravens, that jumps up to 40%. So uh, that's these, these kind of permutations and all of the new formatting and everything with the playoff structure is all in there automatically. It also does ties. So one click is win, two clicks is a loss, third click hands them a tie. Um, you, you start to get into the real freaky situations and you start throwing ties in there, but it, it's just a really fun little tool and it gives you mathematically a, a probability. Um, so like when you see a check, when, it, when you get to a check mark, like make the playoffs win division, it's not necessarily that that outcome clinches it, but that that outcome results in them making the playoffs or winning the division or getting the first round by in 50,000 out of 50,000 simulations. Again, based on the relative strength of those teams. Um, and like I said, that, that takes quarterback into account, right? So if you can tell me it's going to be Drew Brees the rest of the way, the, the tool has it built in. Okay, this is the, the Saints as they've been with Drew Brees, not the Saints over the whole season, including both Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Obviously, they're relatively stronger with Drew Brees. Um, and then, of course, if somebody gets hurt this weekend, next week's predictions, um, you know, and you've got a, a <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick out there, whatever it is, those ratings change accordingly. So the nuance of this is just really, really interesting to me because it's so different from what we saw out of like very early, more rudimentary predictive models where it was essentially just 
what is the percentage chance that if you're if we take the Browns again and say, okay, what is the chances that the Browns beat the Jets? And then what are the chances that the Browns beat the Steelers the following? But this is taking so many other things into account. Like what is happening to the other people competing for the same spots and factoring them into your odds. Is that correct? Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, the schedule, what's already happened. And then what's that relative, what's that true relative strength. And then the remaining schedule, when you match up those teams, what's most likely to happen, a stronger team versus a weaker team and how many more times, obviously any given Sunday, right? The jets can beat the Rams that can happen. Right. It's not impossible. But how many times out of 10, out of 100, out of 50,000 do the Jets beat the Rams? Right. Um, So and and a case in point right here, the Chicago Bears. Now, um, several weeks ago, I wrote about the Bears uh, because I think they were like six and two at the time. And I was like, look, at this point, the 538 prediction machine has them. 85% 85% making the playoffs, right? They could go 500 from here on out after starting as hot as they have. They'll still make the playoffs. It's a very, very likely that they'll make the playoffs. Like crazy things can happen. Wild stuff can happen, but the Bears are probably going to make the playoffs. Well, a couple weeks ago, people started digging that quote up and quote tweeting me and circling it around. Like, oh, tie. Like, here's what happens. Like you rely on math and then stuff gets all goofed up. And oh well, right now as we speak, with nothing changed, the Bears are seven and seven. They have thirty-one percent. Well, thirty percent of the fifty thousand simulations they end up making the playoffs. Well, they're at Jacksonville this week. They're likely to win that game. You hand them that W, it goes up to thirty-nine percent. If they can beat the Packers at the end, it jumps back up to seventy-five percent. So after all this time, as bad as the Bears have been lately, with as many L's as they have racked up between when I wrote that article and now, there's still one very winnable game and one kind of winnable game. <laughs> away from having uh you know a 75 percent shot at making the playoffs anyway at nine and seven so it's it's kind of the same thing with the politics stuff at 538 where you know probabilities what's the chance something could happen what's the likelihood that something will happen and how many different scenarios play out um all come into this and and i agree it's a really cool way of looking at this yeah, and I just I sort of wanted to ask you too because I think it's so cool this um, the accounting for quarterback play because yeah. if you go into this tool and click on it and you look at just the traditional sort of ELO percentage against the percentage of quarterback play taken into account, I feel like you learn some interesting things about that team's quarterback. If I look at the Browns, for example, their chances go up a few percent with Baker Mayfield taken into account as opposed to just the traditional ELO, which I think is sort of fascinating because you're talking about in many statistical metrics, a very middle of the pack quarterback. So can you elaborate a little bit on sort of how the quarterback component of this is calculated? Yeah. And it's, again, it's kind of, (laughs) it's kind of interesting because we're going based off of how the team has performed with that quarterback in there. I think they might, they do some manual adjustments uh, for, you know, if I'm not like, I'm not sure exactly what happened when Tyrod Taylor's lung got punctured by that needle, right? Like we have no track record 
for Justin Herbert. We have we don't know exactly how to account for that, but you think losing a veteran quarterback, it's going to go down. Maybe that's not what happens. You know, who knows? Um, but so, for example, here, uh, the Bengals, Ryan Finley goes out there and plays pretty darn well against a very strong team. Well, if you go to the um, uh, top, they have the ELO with top quarterback, current quarterback adjustment. So the Bengals ELO is 1287, but they're getting a plus 27 current quarterback adjustment because the quarterback who's playing for them right now has one really good game against one really strong opponent under his belt. And the, the, the system kind of goes, okay, well, they're playing better with him under center. And, you know, that can be fool's gold, obviously, because nobody's sitting here saying that, that the Bengals are better for Joe Burrow's knee blowing up. But at the same time, it can only take into account what it's taking into account. And it's not a bunch of fudge factors in there. Um, you know, 49ers right now, minus 16. Uh, quarterback adjustment because they don't have Jimmy Garoppolo. Washington right now on the model minus 33 without Alex Smith. Um, Raiders are minus 67 without Derek Carr. So what those adjustments are week to week will also change as we get real data that goes back into that and, and adjusts how they perform with those other quarterbacks in. And of course you get those quarterbacks back if Joe Burrow, you know, uh, wakes up in the morning and, and, suddenly his knee is a hundred percent. He goes back out there. We go, Oh, well, this is what it was with him. So the ELO rating goes back to where it was with him. Okay. So I was, that's fits perfectly to sort of what I was going to ask next, which is kind of how does it handle, like what is the default effectively for a situation where it's like, we don't know who the quarterback is going to be. Like I, let's take Washington football team right now. We don't know. Is Alex Smith going to be ready to go? Or is it going to be, Taylor Heineke. I mean, there's got to be a huge difference in how that lays out. So do you go with then whoever is the most likely to start? Whoever, I mean, I assume maybe that's a manual adjustment. You know, who does, yeah. who does the yeah. if it's, believe it's, would start? I believe, because I I'm going to have to pick Neil's, mm. <laughs> Neil Payne's uh, uh, brain on this. Um, uh, okay, so right, the the high level statement is a team's current quarterback adjustment is based on possible starters in its next game, and how much better or worse that QB is than the team's top starter. I'm gonna try and, and pull this. Uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, without digging deep into the site, the full methodology is listed on there at the bottom. There's a thing that's like full methodology here and we get right into the, you know, Pythagorean stuff, Monte Carlo simulations. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like ESPN's total QBR is a big driver of that quarterback performance. So if you're wondering where it's getting the stats for this quarterback is this much better than that quarterback, that's going to be the main driver is total QBR. Okay. And then one, just one last question about this. Um, what does it do with a rookie? Or I guess it wouldn't even have to be a rookie, but somebody who has never played an NFL snap before. Like what would this thing have done with the Dolphins in Tua's first start? Yeah. Um, oh, I, hold on. I, I was just seeing that. The rookie, yeah. 
I, I honestly don't know. It is in the full methodology. So if you go check that out, that's uh, 538.com slash methodology slash methodology. It's how dash r dash NFL dash predictions dash work. How our NFL predictions work. Um, and, and that gets right into the, you've got your square roots and you're dividing by whatever's the season simulations, all that stuff. Quarterback adjustment. Um, does get explained in there um i didn't i don't know how a rookie quarterback is handled off the top of my head and i don't want to read the text to you guys live on the air but that's 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 the basic driver of it is the qbr combined with some box score ratings gives you a quarterback value um, i presume there's a replacement level cute you know value that they can stick in there a rookie coming off the bench is going to be the same as any other street free agent or replacement level quarterback that would be my assumption Shadi, do you have any thoughts? Well, first, uh, just to inject some uh, pop culture into the very, very nerdy discussion here that I'm loving. Um, w- when we're asking how many times the Jets beat the Rams out of 50,000, I just saw Doctor Strange raising that one finger from Endgame because um, <laughs> that's how many times it's going to happen. Um, but I think where I keep coming back to, and you've sort of danced around some of the, the things that are going into this model, um, and you've also talked a little bit about 538's political side of things, which has taken some flack. And I'm an OG Nate Silver lover, truther. I think he's absolutely great for, you know, both the sports stuff that he started with and then the politics stuff that he's been doing since then. Um, I, I loved when he moved to 538 on its own rather than, you know, sort of being stifled where he was before. Um, all that being said, I keep coming back to garbage in, garbage out the political polling industry is having sort of a sea change, which has hurt these models, whether it's 538s or others. Um, They need to figure out some things out and there's no way to plug unsure polls into a model and get anything other than a little bit of an unsure model. You You can make it better looking at the model, but it's still not perfect. Some of this stuff I'm thinking is the same. I know QBR is something that a lot of people quibble with. And I could also see 538 taking that same QBR and strengthening it over the next 5, 10, 15 seasons and making their own sort of QBR-like metric. Uh, That being said, people who are going to sit here, listen to this whole thing and say, well, you know, bears at 70-some percent. If they don't make the playoffs, the model must be wrong. Eh, that's not what models do. And I think that's where I sort of land on all of this. I would love to see the same model sort of eventually incorporate, you know, Chase Young. You know, he, he can take over a game as much as most quarterbacks. Uh, I'd like to see this model sort of take in more than just quarterback play. And I think that would strengthen the model. But at the end of the day, a model is just a model. And it's not actually saying this is what is going to happen. It's saying this is what's likely to happen. And the more people understand that and take that out of a discussion like this that we're having, I think the better off we're all in the sports world for it because it actually adds some of this understanding what math is supposed to do because this, you can extrapolate the same conversation into, you know, whether go for it on fourth down in a game or whether to, you know, do all the sort of things that NFL teams look at stats and data to drive their decision-making and it can still be wrong. You can use, you know, a 99 percentile. This is the right play. And then, not get the half a yard you thought you were going to get. So just because the model says it should happen doesn't mean it's going to happen. Models, statisticians, data is always really upfront about that. Um, even the most arrogant predictors will say, you know, it's, it's only a 
such and such percent chance that means anything could happen. I don't know how many times Steve Kornacki said that on both, you know, Sunday Night Football and back when he was drawing the big board on election night. But the important part is to continue, you know, use the 50,000 game data set and say, yeah, but if we keep making these good decisions over and over, if we keep predicting these games and these, these playoff matchups the same way, and we're right more than we're wrong, we tweak it a little bit, we get better. That's how science, that's how math is supposed to work. And we strengthen our ability to predict. We strengthen our ability to make decisions. Sure. And I think, you know, my, my comeback, I don't want to say comeback, but you know, my, my answer to, oh, well, like this is, this is, this is, this can't tell us the future perfectly. This isn't a perfect model. There's things that are happening. It can't account for, you know, there was no preseason statistical model that could account for, well, what if Tyrod Taylor gets his lung poked open and Justin Herbert has to start and he's great. You know, like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> there's uh, the black swan event as uh, using the old Malcolm Gladwell terminology, like st- all kinds of crazy stuff can happen. But at the end of the day, you go back and look at what actually has happened and, and how much of it is really outside the likelihood of possibility. Right. Okay. So if you throw away the statistical modeling, what do we have left? Rob Parker and Skip Bayless shouting at each other about it. hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's the same thing. Well, oh, well, you know, does the 538 actually their politics podcast did this afterwards, um, you know, in the wake of the uh, Biden Trump election and said, OK, well, if, if polling doesn't work, what do we have? Well, we have political Skip Bayless and political Rob Parker going, well, you know, these coastal elites just don't understand real America. Well, these real Americans don't understand the big cities. Most of you know, it's just they're just arguing about nonsense based off of their feelings. You know, let's look at the data we do have and let's make the best assumptions we can and, and let's factor in what we can. And you can see that certain teams have better shots and certain teams uh, have easier paths and teams' relative strengths don't start and stop with their win-loss record. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to echo that this is sort of, I think, symptomatic of the hurdle that analytics has to clear in every sport before it becomes sort of mainstream because this is the same thing that happened in baseball when we were first looking at like the war stat for example so it's not telling you that if you have this player you will win 5.6 more games just telling you what is more likely to occur rather than what will occur i mean if we could tell you exactly what would occur in every single game then we would probably all just take that to Vegas and retire and buy an island, right? right? We're just telling you what is more likely to happen. And I think that until sort of the bulk of people, you know, you mentioned the whole, you know, Skip Bayless and see these guys screaming at each other and whatnot. Like, but until this stuff goes mainstream and people kind of understand that, that this is not a crystal ball, it's something that is just designed to show you here's what the numbers say is the most likely scenario or the second most likely scenario, what have you. But we're not there yet in football. Um, it's, it took a long time in baseball. And I think in football, it's going to take a while too. And most people are still like, mm analytics you know but anyway i think this is a super super neat tool so if you're interested in this kind of nerdy stuff like we are you got to go over to 538 check this thing out it's super super cool to kind of play with it and, and see how it changes from week to week absolutely and if if you're interested we could go a lot longer into how analytics can improve within football down to down uh mm-hmm. you know the resolution of a yard think about a yard that's a long way we can get a lot more granular than a yard uh but uh 
predicting wins and losses comes with a hard cap. Brian Burke, he's not ESPN, has been for a long time, but before that, when he's an independent blogger, worked out how much of NFL win-loss records are random. And the outcomes are consistent with football being like 52% random. So if you're if you're picking winners based on that, you're only account able to count for like 52%. Uh, of of the actual signal, but the noise breaks your way half the time, right? If the if the remaining half the time half goes your way, and the most any predictive model is ever going to be right about any individual game is about 72-73%. So that that's a hard cap because football is just that random. And and but but it is useful to know here's what the numbers say. Um it's time to put on our team's colors. Root for these last two weeks. Push these buttons. Watch these odds. Watch these games. We got games Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. These results are rolling in. And we want to make sure we don't fumble our grooming below the waist. Our partners at Manscaped are here to save your boys from an Aaron Donald hit. So you stay clean and take care of yourself where it matters most. Manscaped is here with a surefire touchdown with the best tools for your grooming experience. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. Uh, the Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will give your balls a boost. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BRAWL at manscaped.com. Take advantage of this limited time offer from Manscaped's Pro Bowl lineup and try it for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BRAWL at manscaped.com. This football season, audible from the ordinary, and choose Manscaped for your most important male grooming needs. All right, Samantha and I combined for like one huge topic. Shadi, what is your big topic for this week's big show? Yeah, speaking of dropping your balls, let's go to Pittsburgh where, <laughs> where my segue of the year is going to rest right on the logo uh, in Steel City. And let's talk about Juju Smith-Schuster because this somehow is maybe the biggest non-story that I think may actually be having an impact on the football field because I could not help but watch that Bengals game and sense the disrespect that they felt every time one of the Steelers receivers, not just Smith Schuster, but anytime one of those receivers caught a ball, it seemed like the entire Bengals nation was rising up together to hit that guy as hard as possible. And so apologize today. There was a team meeting came out of it, basically said, you know, I'm done with it. You know, I'm always going to have fun, but I realize that this is hurting my team for their sake. I, I'm, I'm fine stopping. Uh, it seemed like his coaches had a problem with it. There was probably a little reverse uh, engineering there, you know, getting the coaches to talk to the team to hold this team meeting to get Juju to stop. I have two questions for you guys. One, is this really a story or is this just sort of a non-story that's taken on a life of its own? And two, where is this line between we want these guys to be humans? It's so amazing that the NBA is starting to embrace things like allowing their players to be players. The fact that Juju is like this major TikTok star is good for the league. The NBA embraced, embraced this like a decade ago and it's done them wonders. So where's the line between, you know, 
yeah, we're not in the days of Randy Moss getting fined or Terrell Owens getting fined every time they did a touchdown celebration, but is how much is too much? How much is Juju Smith-Schuster need to stick to football rather than TikTok? Well, I think this is all driven by performance, right? And not even necessarily his performance, but the team's performance. So if the Steelers were still a perfect uh, 14-0 at this point in the season, or even if they were 14, like we'll give them the Bills game or something to drop. I don't think anybody's saying a word about this. But if you are struggling and your team is sliding and the Steelers are definitely sliding, then people start to look for anything that they can label a quote-unquote distraction. And this is being flagged as a Mm -hmm. distraction. So is it really a distraction? I don't know. I mean, there's something that's a little bit like fate tempting about it. Like, look what happened. Like the Bengals kept it together in a way that, you know, John Harbaugh didn't um, when this happened to his team when he, you know, attempted to assault someone on the opposing sideline for standing on his logo. But the Bengals, you could see they channeled it into something that was very productive there. Now, does that mean that if Juju doesn't dance on that logo that the Bengals don't beat the Steelers? I certainly do not think so. But if that's the way it looks, if that's what people believe, and power belief is pretty strong here, especially when you're a team that is having to essentially explain yourself um, in terms of why things have really, really, really changed for the worse recently, then yeah, it's easy to point at that and say, well, it's because Juju danced on the logo, he's a distraction, which seems really silly, but it also seems like if it's for the good of the team, then maybe even if we're just posturing, maybe that's something we should follow. Although I will certainly agree with your point that I think it's good for football to allow people to express themselves more colorfully like this. We don't want to get back to the old Paul Tagliabue, no fun week. Totally, totally agree, Samantha. I'm, I'm all about the bravado, the expression, the freedom, the celebrations. I think one of the biggest things that we've gotten back is group touchdown celebrations for years. I thought it was just the dumbest thing that one player could do an entire choreographed Broadway routine all by himself. But as soon as like three players bounce in the same direction at the same time, that's a flat. Like you want people celebrating with your teammates. You want to have fun. Uh, but we also, there, there is a line where it starts to get dumb, you know, and the, and the sort of uh, like back and forth, uh, you know, hold me back, bro. Stuff starts to get a little bit ridiculous. I remember when Terrell Owens was standing on the Cowboys stars, San Francisco 40, they did it twice. Uh, and then a safety ran all the way across the field to knock him off the star. And then there was a fight back and forth. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, guys. And closer to home for me here at Michigan State, several years ago, there was this thing where uh, Michigan State uh, beat Notre Dame in the stadium. And on an active impulse, somebody grabbed the big block S flag from one of the uh, the color guard you know, that has the like S T A T E flag, grabbed the S and planted it at midfield right on the Notre Dame logo. And oh yeah. Yeah. We planted our flag. So Hey, you know, next week we're going to plant our flag and it turned into this thing. And then by the time they played, I think it was Wisconsin towards the end of the game, a bunch of Wisconsin players like gathered around their logo at midfield. Like, no, you're not going to plant your flag. And then like 10 Spartans all had the flag. Yeah. We're going to plant the flag. And like, and it's okay. This was like a fun thing. And now we've turned it into a stupid thing. And when this much mental energy is being expended before, during, and after 
you know, oh, you're going to disrespect me? No, bro, I'm going to disrespect you. No, you don't disrespect me in my house. No, my disrespect is your disrespect. I mean, it's just, okay, all right, we're done. This is a level of, like, caveman-ness that we can get, you know, save it for the field and 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 channel that energy into the field. And, and if we have to pump the brakes on the celebration for a little bit, I'm okay with that. And football has largely always been less involved with the sort of unwritten rule book than a sport like baseball or yes. even hockey. Hockey yes. has a lot of these unwritten rules about how you respect the the playing service and respect your opposing team. But it was interesting to hear right before uh, we taped this broadcast, Pat McCaffrey, uh, who is maybe the least reverent guy around football, uh, was talking about how he wouldn't even stand on the logo during warmups. Like when they had to warm mm-hmm. up in that general vicinity, he'd make sure he wasn't on the logo. Um that to me that says something that that it's at least something that has been enough of a repeated you know even if it's just rote uh tradition for so long that people feel this so it it makes sense but i i honestly think where where i come down on this is if ben roethlisberger didn't have dead arm syndrome right now we wouldn't be talking about it because he could dance on that logo all day long if ben could complete a pass over five yards and if the coach could say that he would say that, but when it's Ben Roethlisberger, you don't get to say that. So right now we're all focused on Juju Smith-Schuster because we're not calling out Ben. That's, uh, that's a great point. I, I've always come from the school of uh, if you don't like me celebrating, then then tackle me. Uh, but it's great. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great that we do have this to talk about, though. We have Ben to talk about. We have Juju Smith-Schuster to talk about. We have football to talk about because football is here, and so is your shot at millions. Thanks to our partnership with DraftKings, all new players can play for free for millions with your first deposit. Here's how it works. First, you create your DraftKings DFS account and make a deposit. Second, DraftKings credits your account with free entry to these contests. Third, draft your lineup and go for the millions in top prizes. Just go to dkng.co slash brawlpod to play. That's dkng.co slash brawlpod. Act quickly. This offer won't be around forever. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus welcome back to the brawl 22 the brawl network's national nfl podcast as always we try to bring you 
cool, different, unique, exciting, engaging voices in and around the game of football and the sports world. And we have one right now, digital ninja, entrepreneur, and fantasy football lover, Ross Simmons joins us right now. Ross, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me on time. Super excited to chat with you folks today. Awesome. We're excited too. Why don't you tell the people a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do? Definitely. So as mentioned, Serial Entrepreneur, I run a handful of companies uh, ranging from e-commerce sites like Hustle and Grind, which is a, a company that sells everything from coffee to t-shirts and swag, all the way through to Foundation Marketing, which is a content marketing agency. So we work with brands all over the world, helping them tell stories online. Um, and then in addition to that, I've got my hand in a lot of different pots. I've been blogging since I was a, a young pup, got my start in the world of marketing um, in university, writing about fantasy sports, and that transcended into to the wonderful world of marketing and I've been creating content in that space ever since. So we'll give you a chance to talk a little bit more about your companies and, and what you're up to later. Um, spoiler alert, I am drinking out of my hustle and grind hustle coffee mug right now. Um, <laughs> but one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on is because you're an Eagles fan and yeah. Eagles fans catch a lot of flack about everything from throwing snowballs at Santa to just being generally disagreeable. Uh, other than maybe Bill's Mafia, they're probably the most nationally uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek maligned. Tell That's us what it's like to be an Eagles fan and why you guys are just a different breed. Yeah, so I think it starts with a rooted, deep pain that we have struggled through for many, many years. Um, the Eagles have always just been a good team, but not really enough to kind of take it all the way. And then we finally do it. We do it on the back of Foles and we get the, the Super Bowl and the Eagles fans are feeling great. We're feeling awesome. And then very quickly, we go back into a feeling of pain um, afterwards with more injuries. So as much as uh, we have had a very, very significant high. Uh, we all know what it feels like to be low because we've gone through them so many times. And it felt like up until just, I'd say, a, a little while ago, uh, we were going back into a pain. But the, the light is in our, our, our realm. We see it. We know that there could, there could be a light at the end of this tunnel. Um, and I'm feeling, I've got my Eagle shirt on again today, and I haven't worn one all season but I am feeling good about what the future might look like as a, an Eagles fan. But I think the pain is rooted in a consistency of um, good, but not great. And uh, I think we're, we're finally maybe turning things around again. Ross, as a Browns fan, I, I definitely, we identify with that uh, legacy of pain that you guys have. So we were pretty happy to see you all uh, get that Super Bowl win a couple years ago. But yeah. Doug Peterson, um, I want to talk to you about where, where you guys are at, where you personally are at on Doug Peterson right now. Does he get another chance to right the ship next year, or is he going down with the uh, Carson Wentz torpedo? You know, I think it's all going to come down to how he positions himself internally. If he makes the decision that, yes, we're going to walk away, we're going to make a move in the direction of Hertz, then, oh, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm okay with it. Like we made, we took a coin flip with, uh, with Wentz. Um, I think the off season is going to be huge, but I don't think that Doug Peterson necessarily has to go down with him. He brought the, the Eagles a Super Bowl, So with that comes a bit of um, loyalty to hope that he's going to be able to kind of see what else we can do and take this team the next to the next chapter. I think 
there's never been a better time because we still have a very tradable contract with Wentz for the Eagles to make a move. And if the Eagles do make a move where Wentz does result in a great O-lineman or a great wide receiver, then we could be okay. And I'd be okay with Peterson being there. I think, to be honest, some of the bigger issues with the offense over the last few um, weeks of the season has been not necessarily on Doug, but also on some of the personnel um, lower beneath into the offensive team where there's not a lot of strong reputation amongst Eagles fans when we look at, okay, who have we brought in? Um, it's not really a team or below that we really trust. Ross, we're living in this kind of new uh, media era with, you know, brands talking like they're people, brands talking to brands, brands jumping into people's mentions. And we see some of this in the NFL space as well. You know, teams, uh, you know, they know who the top tweeters are and they interact with them and, and they recognize them. Um, and then the teams play with each other too a little bit online. Tell me some of the best stuff you've seen NFL teams doing on social and maybe some of the less great stuff you've seen them do. Yeah, great question. So I think the best thing that an NFL team can do is to turn their own players into celebrities. And I think there's a lot of teams that are doing it well, but there's also a lot of teams that are just completely dropping the ball where they're not amplifying their team as much as they could. As much as I'm not a Fins fan, the Dolphins are actually doing a pretty good job recently with amplifying Tua and making the fans like fall in love with him. The Eagles did it recently with um, Fogum when he was like lighting things up, but then it completely fell apart. So it's like there does need to be a bit of alignment. Like the Eagles social media manager was completely recognizing like this wide receiver was going to be great. And he was, they were amplifying him. They were getting it all excited. But then the dude gets like no looks. He's not getting any uh, passes. They put him on the bench for Alshon, like it, it fell apart. So there can be a disconnect between the social media team and um, front office and or even the coaching staff, which can open up some issues. But I think the Dolphins have done a great job with amplifying their team. And what they've also done to kind of take this just to the next level is they're arming the fans with content that they're fans can then share on their own social media. So rather than just putting out social media content and thinking, okay, this is great, we're gonna have a bit of a, um, a monologue, they're empowering their fans to create and distribute content as well. I also have a gut instinct that they're actually doing some internal training of their employees on how to use social media well. If you look at some of their employees or their team members, uh, Twitter accounts or Instagram accounts, they're running things like promotions where they're giving away signed jerseys and they have people managing that entire process. And when you can build that, what feels like one-to-one -one connection with fans, it just builds a whole new level of trust with your team. And the Dolphins, as much as I'm not a Dolphins fan, is doing an extremely good job at doing that. So yeah, along those lines, something I've got three kids, two in high school, one in junior high, and only one of them is even sort of an NFL fan. And even then they can't, they can't sit through a whole NFL game. Right. And one of my biggest things over the, if for the 10 years I've been pounding the table for like, you know, the NFL is maximizing the viewing experience for me, yeah. but not giving anything for kids to hook onto. Right. Uh, where do you think there are opportunities in that space to get the next generation following and watching football? Great question. So I think the NFL needs to take a page out of the NBA's playbook around just the rules and regulations around what content mm -hmm. is readily available for 
user-generated content. Like the whole idea on the NFL that you can't use GIFs, you can't take snippets from games and reshare them, et cetera. It's a very old dated model. And that dated model is, in my opinion, one of the things that is slowing the NFL down from actually taking off amongst the youth, so to speak. Um, and it's because they don't embrace the idea that, yeah, anyone can take a snippet and share it, et cetera. You're forced to like use graphics that are, are really whack in some ways um, when you're trying to promote games and talk about games. But I think if they really just allowed user-generated content more freely and gave up ownership of all of their content, that would change everything. It would get people more engaged. I think the one thing that they have invested in the most strategically, and it's actually worked out decently well, um, is Red Zone. Like I think Red Zone is the best product that they mm -hmm. have put out in years um, in collaboration with networks, of course. But like I think that is the best thing they have done to the modern era. At the same time, they're doing such a great job with uh, some of the new camera views, et cetera, on the field. But like put that in the arms of content creators, put that in the arm of the people who can create great content. And if they do that, they're going to, they're going to be able to thrive. But the challenge has definitely been their inability to let go of the snippets, the small pieces of content. You can see the UFC also doing this really well. Um, when something is an amazing play, let that play go viral and let people share it, let people recreate it, let them turn it into a meme. You have to embrace that. And the NFL has just dropped the ball at allowing that to take place. Amen to all of that. I want to jump back to the Eagles really quickly because you mentioned something that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, you said you thought the Carson Wentz contract actually was very tradable, and I happen to agree with you, but there are a lot of people out there saying the opposite. So um, just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that, uh, what you think they can do with that and why you think they'll be able to move it. Great question. So I do think it's tradable. And the reason why is like, I know it's big. I know it's a big amount, but what was actually guaranteed um, is like, I believe 20 ish or so mil a year. So it's, it's not, it is significant, um, but it's still tradable. I think like, I don't think it's something that a lot of teams are going to completely get stressed over, especially when you look at the value that Wentz can bring to the table for an organization. I look at a lot of QBs who seem like they're on the, the way out, whether it's Philip Rivers, whether it's Drew Brees. I'm looking at a lot of these names and it's like, sure, you, like there's no way the the Saints are going to get a great like QB backup in the draft. And sure, they can play with the, the Taysom Hill experiment if they would like a little bit further, but they probably do want a, a QB who can help Michael Thomas essentially get closer to um, bringing in that Super Bowl for them. And if that is something that they want to do soon rather than later, then it might make sense for them to make a move where they go after that. They're going to lose Breeze's contract as well. So they're going to have the, the money to make a move. Um, in addition, is Philip Rivers going to stick around again in Indy? I don't know. Um, that's another landing spot that could make sense. I would love that because Indy's the line is good, so maybe we can get one of them. Um, but those are the things that I think about in terms of the contract itself. It does feel like, sure, it's pricey, but it's not something that I would say is very much a, a no-brainer. And it's like, no, this is this guy has to hit the um, has to hit the free agency. Well, you aren't going to find a lot of young quarterbacks with tools like Carson Wentz on the open market. And you are not going to find a lot of people who can talk football yeah. and digital as well as Ross Simmons. Ross, where can people follow you? 
Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, at the coolest cool. I would love to connect with folks. I'm a, a diehard Eagles fan, so if you see me tweeting out some, uh, some excitement around Jalen Hurts and what's going to come, you can definitely look forward to it, but I would love to connect with you. I'm at the coolest cool pretty much on every platform, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. Um, it would be great to connect. Awesome. Thank you so much. There goes Ross Simmons, the coolest cool on Twitter, and stick around because we have lots more coming here on the Brawl 22. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. And we are back on the Brawl 22, the Brawl Network's national NFL podcast. Very good stuff from Ross Simmons. Very, very sharp guy. Love to talk to bright, engaging people like that. We do it every week here on the Brawl 22. But you know what else we do? We pick games for you. Look at trends. Look at odds. Look at breakdowns. I'm going to give you guys what you should be watching for when you watch these games. All the odds are coming courtesy of our partners, DraftKings. And let's jump into it. Minnesota Vikings are getting seven points at the New Orleans Saints. This is strength on strength. I'm taking the Saints here. They're are the best rushing defense in the league. They're playing the Vikings, who are the second-best rushing team. Uh, Minnesota Vikings have had this run this season of just very close games that they typically lose. Uh, so I'm going to take that to happen in this game. Saints win. So just a, a little bit, a piece of concern, if you will, about that vaunted New Orleans rushing defense. They have allowed 425 rush yards in the last two games. They allowed 412 in the previous seven. So I think that's something to keep an eye on there. That said, Alvin Kamara versus Vikings, just absolutely incredible numbers, owns them, 140 receiving yards, 61 touches, 127 rush yards, and four touchdowns in four games. I'll take the Saints. Yeah, and again, it's not the Superdome filled with you know, 70,000 hollering Cajuns, but it is at New Orleans. My math says they are more than seven points stronger than the Vikings. I like the Saints both at uh, straight up and against the spread. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, nine and a half point favorites at the Detroit Lions. Keep an eye on this, depending when you're listening to it. Lions coaches, several of the defensive coaches and uh, interim head coach Daryl Bevel have been popped for either positive COVID tests or close contact. As of right now, we don't literally know who is going to be coaching the Lions when they play the Bucs. I've got the Buccaneers in this one no matter what happens this weekend, but I think the best possible timeline for this game includes Matthew Stafford being named player coach, um, doing so well, beating the Buccaneers in a massive upset, uh, basically just drawing plays up in the dirt before he goes out there, yes. um, and yes. also serving as defense coordinator, because why not? And then that just being what happens from here on out, that he's named head coach next season, Lions win a Super Bowl on, on his back. That is the best possible thing that can happen, because otherwise we're going to get just the stale, worst football of basically, it's going to be the 
Broncos QB situation, but just penalty after penalty after penalty after penalty. It'll, it'll be unwatchable football. Buddy, I like your version of this better. I, I hope that's what happens. But uh, Tampa Bay, of course, clinches a playoff spot with either a win here or a tie or a Chicago loss or tie. So, and they, they have a, a weird scenario where they cannot finish this season at nine and seven. So they cannot drop these next two games because if they do out of the Bucks, Chicago and Arizona, if they all finish the season nine and seven, it's the Bucks that are out despite the fact that they are ahead now because they lose on a conference record tiebreaker. So just something to keep in mind that basically every game for them from here on out is must win. If they could just take care of it this week, you know, very convenient for them that the uh, Lions coaching staff is all all gone by the wayside for the week. Yeah, I don't love laying nine and a half points, and I don't like the uh, uncertainty, and I don't like the way Tampa Bay has been hot and cold from quarter to quarter, from drive to drive, but the Lions have nobody who can rush the passer uh, outside of Romeo Aquara. They have nobody who can cover the pass, and uh, nine and a half points seems <laughs> possibly generous, so I will lean hard to the Bucks on this one. San Francisco 49ers plus five at the Arizona Cardinals. Talked about quarterback strength affecting things. Uh, maybe C.J. Bethard. Maybe they just signed Josh Rosen uh, off Miami's practice squad. Who knows where uh, they're going to be at quarterback-wise with the 49ers. We'll get five points at Arizona. I'm going with the Cardinals here. There's going to be a lot of focus this week on the 49ers offense because of those quarterback issues, but it's actually their defense that is going to let them down here. They struggle to rush the passer week in, week out. The Cardinals statistically have one of the best pass blocking lines in the entire league. Uh, you watch these guys on a week-to-week basis. A lot of it's the scheme. It makes things easy in an air raid scheme. You're not blocking for longer amounts of time. It's a lot of man-on-man stuff. I love watching that offensive line against the 49ers. I think Kyler Murray stays clean and and no matter what's happening on the other side of the ball, Cardinals score a lot of points. Cardinals win. I agree. I'm going to take the Cardinals as well. I'm kind of piggybacking on your point. Kyler Murray, so far, really good career numbers against San Francisco. And this is, of course, taking into account situation when the 49ers are playing better than they than they are right now. 67 and 97. Um, career first the 49ers 621 yards five touchdowns one interception even though it's kind of a home game in a weird way for both teams it's really more of a home game for Arizona they are technically the home team and it is of course their home state San Francisco just guessed there so even though they are used to playing there there's not really a travel element I don't think it's going to matter Cardinals no problem yeah, I like the Cardinals here, too, and I will lay the five points. Miami Dolphins, three-point favorites at the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, keeping an eye on things. Devontae Parker, Mike Kosicki were both limited in practice uh, right before this was recorded. Yeah, that's actually a much smaller line than I expect. The Raiders just appear to be in total disarray. Uh, the Dolphins, you know, even with some issues we're feeling in the uh, offensive side of things, potentially, I think they're just the much better team right now. So I'm taking this one, and, and again, I think that spread is way too small. Yeah, the Raiders really floundering right now, especially without Derek Carr, that Miami defense, number one in defensive takeaways right now, number one in defensive third down conversions, and number one in defensive points allowed per game. That is a really, really ugly slate of stats to go up against if you are just the Raiders who are absolutely reeling right now. Absolutely two teams going in opposite directions. I will take the Dolphins as well. Cleveland Browns, nine and a half point favorites 
on the road, which might be surprising if it weren't this year's Cleveland Browns going to this year's New York Jets. Yeah, much like a gritty Muppets reboot, the Browns are taking over Manhattan here. Um, I see them <laughs> after after beating the Giants last week. Now they're beating the Jets. See, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, the Browns are just too good. And I know that the Jets are feeling plucky right now because they just beat the Rams, for heaven's sakes. But um, the Browns don't seem like a team that are going to take a game lightly. And I bet that Kevin Stavansky, who is... I love Sean McVay, but Kevin Stefanski has been a better coach this season than Sean McVay. I think that's pretty much clear to everybody. Stefanski's probably coach of the year material. Um, I don't know who else anyone's voting for, but I guarantee he has circled that uh, Rams-Jets game. They've all watched it. He's made his team watch it at least once, if not 10 times, and they're going to make sure that same thing doesn't happen to them. My new offseason goal is to get this Browns and Muppets movie made. But uh, I think I speak for all Browns fans when I say that everybody is very, very grateful to the Rams for losing to the Jets last week because, as we have talked about previously on this podcast, it's kind of hard to go 0-16. It very, very rarely happens. It's only happened twice ever in NFL history. But it's real easy to go 1-15. So if you're a Browns fan, it's just really nice to see, okay, the Jets got their one win out of the way because even though the Browns are the far better team and I fully expect them to win this game – there's always that chance when somebody is over coming in that you're going to be the team they get. And the Rams are a good team too. And the Jets got them. So huge relief for Cleveland in that capacity. They're the better team anyway. I don't think they're going to struggle. Yeah, I think the Browns win this game easily. Uh, Keep an eye better is though, if this gets to 10 points, I like the Jets, especially in a backdoor situation, down 17, cut it to 10. I really like that. And here you go, talking about key numbers, Atlanta Falcons plus 10 and a half at the Kansas City Chiefs. So we've talked a lot about Raheem Morris in previous weeks, and the Falcons are actually in the bottom half of the league in pass coverage ratings. Uh, And Raheem Morris is a defensive backs coach by trade. So something is not connecting there, whether it's just personnel or whether it's Raheem going with the team as a whole, not spending as much time with the defensive backs as maybe he'd like to. But here's what I see happening. Uh, I was a big tech mobile player back in the day when you had Bo Jackson, you just sort of ran back and forth and no one could tackle you. That's going to be Tariq Hill. There is no one <laughs> on the Falcons who is going to be able to stop these receivers. And it's not just Tariq Hill, but it's everybody in the passing game, including Le'Veon Bell. You were just going to have a, I actually love this 10 and a half line because I think the chiefs will probably score like 20 points early and realize they can do whatever they want in the pass game. And you have enough drivers in that sideline that are going to say, okay, let's make it 50. And I think that they're the sort of team to say the Falcons are giving us everything we'd love to see defensively. So we're going to take advantage of it. So the chiefs, I, this is a really, really nasty matchup following up further on this whole defensive conundrum for the Falcons, because Patrick Mahomes absolutely eats man coverage alive from other teams. He is just incredibly dominant going up against main coverage. And the team that uses that the most is actually the Chiefs. But guess who plays in man coverage the second most of any team in the NFL? It's the Atlanta Falcons at 49% of snaps. So doesn't bode well at all for them. Yeah, I'll take the Chiefs. 
Yeah, I don't see any way the Chiefs lose this game. Uh, but is there is there a reality where they lose, say, uh, 33-24 and cover a 10.5-point spread? I think there is that reality. Uh, I would I would lean to the Falcons on this one because I don't like laying 10.5 against the spread. Uh, Chicago Bears, 7.5-point favorites at Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, a couple of recent results throwing this one way off track as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, a bit of resurgence for the Bears, and all of a sudden this matches up really well with the Jaguars team um, that is just fine in the driver's seat for Trevor Lawrence, so they're not going to be exactly given their 100% effort from everyone in that organization who, you know, above the coaching staff probably would love to lose the rest of their games, and and the coaching staff don't care because they're not coaching there next year anyway. So you just have a team in neutral versus a team that, as we discussed earlier, has an outside shot at the playoffs and certainly doesn't control their own destiny, but can do everything they want to do uh, to get in. And I don't see any way that the Jaguars win this one. I, yeah, they... It, does not behoove them to win this. So we have two teams with agendas that align in a lot of ways. And for the Bears, yeah, it's a bummer. Um, you had a really, really bad stretch there. And as a result, you can't control your own fate. They will need help to get into the playoffs. They cannot do it on their own. But what they can do is make sure they do their part in that regard. And they've got to play up against Green Bay next week. That's going to be a much, much tougher game, especially if the Packers have a reason not to sit starters. So got to take care of business here against Jacksonville. See what happens. Hope you get some help from somebody else. Yeah, I'm going to beat this drum one more time. Uh, Jags got boat race last couple of weeks, but before that, they took the Vikings to overtime. Bears and Vikings, very similar strength teams as we saw last week. I think the Bears win this one, but not by more than a touchdown. I'll take the Bears straight up. Jags against the spread. Giants plus 11 at the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, this this is a spread that I think might be a little too big because the Giants are good against the run and shockingly good this season against running quarterbacks. So they held Russell Wilson in check when they played Seattle. They've held Kyler Murray in check. It, roughly so. I mean, in check for those guys. Um, offensively, they're not going to be able to breathe. I think we all know that. But I could see this being a much closer game in a game where the Ravens... Uh, as they have done at various points of the season, struggle to gain, gain their footing offensively when their run game isn't firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I think if you're the Giants, you just have to lean on your defense here and hope you can keep it close enough to give yourselves an opportunity to essentially take advantage of it if you get lucky, if you get a turnover, if Baltimore makes a mistake, that sort of thing. Just put yourself in a position to go after any advantage that might be handed to you because offensively, I... I mean, I don't, I don't even know if Jason Garrett is back this week calling plays or if it's Freddie Kitchens. I mean, if it's Freddie Kitchens, forget it, throw the whole thing out. Like, no, no way, absolutely not, no chance. If Jason Garrett is back, then, yeah, still a tough road to hope for the Giants. But if they can keep it close and if they could get a little bit lucky, stranger things have happened. Yeah, I think you guys, I love your analysis. I think you're on point. My math says this is easily 11 and maybe more. Um, so I'm going to take the Ravens and I'm going to lay the 11 also. As much as I've liked the Giants all year long, I think the Ravens are hitting their stride. And again, uh, my, my relative strength rank rankings like these teams, uh, like the Ravens way too much. Uh, next game, this one's fascinating to me. The Colts, two-point favorites at the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
I think the Steelers are just too good organizationally to stay down. Uh, they already seem like they're feeling things out. Uh, I've spent the morning listening to former NFL players talk about how this is actually the way things should go. You have these hiccups. You have these things that are going wrong. You get together. You have the team meeting. Uh, when analysts say it, I always think it's overblown. But when you're hearing you know, former NFL players turned analysts sort of say this is the way they would have wished that their teams had done it back in the day. I think it, it means something a little bit more. That being said, uh, even if I like the Steelers, there so, someone pointed out a couple days ago on Twitter how the Seahawks did this, that they ran, you know, rough shot over the regular season, then lost a bunch of games, and then still ended up, you know, doing well in the playoffs. Uh, I think that's probably what happens to the Steelers. I think they get it figured out in time, but not against the Colts. The Colts are playing too well right now. They're too tough of a team. I think this is just a sort of AFC North style matchup with the Colts being a very, you know, pseudo old school AFC North style team this season where uh, just too many body blows. And I think the Steelers aren't able to go vertically enough to, you know, get over the top and work against those body blows from the Colts. I can only go off what I see and what I have seen recently from Pittsburgh has been a dumpster fire. And these teams are kind of trending in opposite directions. The Colts, I think, have gotten more and more consistent. They're playing better and better football as the season goes on. The Steelers are going the opposite direction. Um, I just don't know that I think this is the week they write the ship. They're running out of time to do so. And they are, of course, already into the playoffs. So the desperation to get that playoff berth isn't going to be there as much as I think they want to prove themselves in other ways. It's just not there right now. I don't see it happening. The Colts, on the other hand, this is a must-win game for them in order for them to stay competitive in the playoff race, both for the AFC South and for the wild card. I'm going to give this one to the Colts. I like the Colts. I like what they've been doing. Steelers on a three-game losing streak. Colts on a three-game winning streak. You've got to be pretty bad to lose four in a row in the NFL, and you've got to be pretty darn good to win four in a row. Steelers won 11 in a row before dropping these three uh, reports today that uh, Ben Roethlisberger called a players-only meeting. I just feel like, I kind of like what Shadi said, there's too much organizational winning in this team. Too many of these guys know how to buckle down and do it when it counts. I like the Steelers here, uh, you know, not just against the spread, getting two points, but also straight up to win this game. Cincinnati Bengals getting eight and a half at the Houston Texans. Yeah, I want to continue my personal trend of trying not to talk about quarterback situations when 99% of the media are going to talk about quarterback situations. So in this one, as much as we're all going to talk about, you know, Ryan Finley, who's apparently the second coming of Otto Graham, um, the Bengals pass coverage has actually been a lot of where they've succeeded this season. That's a real strength on strength matchup against a Texans offense that I think is number two against or number two passing offense, dead last rushing offense. So I think that that leans Texans, even though the Bengals have been good against the pass, there's so much more to think about when you not only have multiple great wide receivers out there, but also a tough, big rushing quarterback uh, in Watson. So I also just don't think, to go back to the quarterback, I don't think there's anything left in the Ryan Finley bag of tricks. So they watch the game tape. Uh, you might be able to, you know, I'll use a baseball analogy. You might be able to have a special pitch that you can throw out there a couple of times, but the second these teams get tape on it, they're going to start knocking out of the park. And I think this is a game where Ryan Finley gets knocked out of the park by a Houston, Texas defense that's going to be coming for him. Uh, yeah, I would love to see what a, a 538 uh, model would 
do with this? Can the Bengals do that again? I, I'm willing to bet it's going to be like the Rams-Jets thing. Like, oh, that happens once, no matter how yeah. many times you run it. So, yeah, I mean, Cincinnati, I think the positives, particularly about that Cincinnati defense, are really more about promise for the future, not about productivity. Now, yes, they were good last week, but I'm looking at these two young pass rushers there on that Bengals defense and thinking, hey, you know, this team is headed in the right direction. I don't know that I look at that as well. Now that we've established ourselves against the Steelers on Monday night last week, we're going to do the same thing to Deshaun Watson and the Texans passing offense. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually do uh, totally agree with you guys. It's recency bias here is huge. Love what the Bengals did. That's a lot of fun. Texans are too good on D Broncos plus three at the LA charger. I went back and forth on this pick and I, uh, as I did last week, uh, may go back on Sunday morning and change this one. The story this year for the Chargers has been a lot of positivity around Justin Herbert. But when you actually go back and look at some of those results, even in the games that they lost, uh, that he did well, you go back and look and see, okay, other quarterbacks have done really well against those teams as well. And especially recently, as the Chargers have sort of hit this stride a little bit, when we were all calling for Anthony Lynn's head and then they've won a couple of games, it feels like they're rallying around coach, rallying around Justin, but... The Broncos defense is better than any of these teams they've played recently and by a large margin. I think this game, as much as we want to talk about, oh, we're all excited about the Chargers offense, I think this is going to be a really tough game for them. I think the Broncos win on the backs of their defense. I, this to me is sort of the coin flip game of the week. Uh, a lot of this is going to be realistically about draft order. I know these teams don't like each other, so they're going to play a little bit harder because they are in the same division. They hate losing to each other. But, you know, you're both five and nine. And so some of that is going to be about draft order. You also are talking about two teams who are potentially playing for their coach's job. So that's something that might factor into this as well. I got to say, though, if we take apart the four units, sort of like you were talking about, Shadi, who do I trust the most out of those four? It's probably the Broncos defense. So I'm going to take the Broncos. Totally agree with you guys. Um, it's... <laughs> That in that it's almost impossible to pick. My math says the Chargers are better in this spot, but also, what do I always say? The last time the Chargers uh, covered in a close game was the first time, so I, I don't trust the Chargers or the Broncos with my money. Uh, but I will just surrender to my process and, and pick the Chargers here. Carolina Panthers plus two and a half at Washington Football Team. I went back and forth on this one too. Um, I know that Christian McCaffrey has been out a lot of the season and when he's been in, it hasn't really made the difference that his talent level would uh, suggest, um, but he's also out this week. Uh, we just learned. So as much as I went back and forth here, this one has all the makings of a 10, six victory, no matter who wins it. And the Panthers have been bad in close games this season where we've seen even in last week's loss um, and all of the sort of funny issues that we're dealing with, with the uh, football team quarterback situation right now, um, they have shown more fight and that's where I'm going with them in here. I totally agree with you. I think this is really about who wants it more and who's fighting harder. Panthers really not in a spot for that right now. That's just not what the trajectory of this team is. They're in a transitional phase. It's really not going to get addressed until the following year, whereas Washington football team has a really unique opportunity here to take a team that's not very good and get into the playoffs by winning their division anyway. They could clinch their division here. 
if everything breaks right. And you got to play Philly next week, who I think is going to be a lot tougher opponent, especially if you still have the quarterback issues that you're having right now, where essentially you have three people, none of whom are really a viable starter for various different reasons. One of them is not allowed to be out there. One of them is too injured and the other one is too third string. So got to strike while the iron is hot. I like football team here. Yeah, I will also take football team, even though I'm not 100% sure. It looks like Alex Smith probably off of injury, but uh, Dwayne Haskins also off of uh, inappropriate celebrations. Uh, There's uncertainty there, but overall, I think Washington football team needs it. They want it. I think they're going to do it. Philadelphia Eagles minus two at the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Ty, you can keep trusting your math. My process is just a super subjective looking at teams and and sensing what might be in their future as like I'm Karnak putting the envelope to my head and I'm going with the Cowboys here. You know, all my love to Jalen hurts, but I'm sticking with this narrative that I've created in my own mind that the Cowboys are actually (laughs) putting things together uh, over the course of the season because they weren't able to do so before the season because of the new coaching staff, COVID, whatever. Um, They also might be getting Zeke Elliott back for this one, which I think uh, again, the impact of, of getting a star running back, back this season has not had the impact that people would uh, think. Uh, But even then, I think they're the more complete team right now. Jalen Hurts probably goes wild on a Cowboys defense that is better than him. But I also think the Cowboys offense is more competent than it's looked at any point uh, earlier in the year. Yeah, this may be one of those who has the ball last type of games, but I We'll echo your thoughts on this. Dallas just seems to have manifested this incredible self-belief over the last couple of weeks that's actually worked pretty well for them. I know a lot of it is about sort of this diluted belief, like, hey, we're not out of the playoff run. Like, we could still come back and win this division. And you're shaking your head and going, oh, do you know how many things are going to have to happen to make that come true? And a lot of them are things that I think even you yourself are not capable of doing before the season ends. But... I still like them here. Yeah, Jalen Hurts doesn't mean he won't have a good game. Doesn't mean he won't show himself, I think, to be the quarterback of the future in Philadelphia. Again, I still like Dallas here in the end. Yeah, it's very close, but I'm going to take the Eagles uh, again. Jalen Hurts, that story, I think there's there's real stuff behind it. Maybe this is a game where there's finally enough tape on them where they can scheme around a little bit and, and figure out how to stop him. But I just like the way he's playing. I will take the Eagles going into Dallas. L.A. Rams getting a point and a half at Seattle uh, after just uh, the debacle that was last week. As much as it was a debacle, I mean, they lost to the Jets, but... They didn't get boat raced. Um, The Rams beat the Seahawks earlier this season, but that was in a world where the Seahawks defense hadn't really figured anything out yet. And now they have, you know, they've brought in help at all levels of the defense. They've gelled. They're consistent. Um, They're not perfect. uh, As we saw when they had to play these, uh, you know, 1 PM East coast games, they still have some of that Seahawks magic where they can make a game exciting, even when it shouldn't be. Um, But I'm feeling another down week for Goff. I really wanted to put this in my sort of misplaced revenge game where a third party, you know, gets, gets, you know, some frustrations taken out of them and and the Rams are going to come in all hot and heavy and Aaron Donald's going to want to prove himself after losing to the jets. But I just don't think that happens. I think the Seahawks are a good enough team to prevent that from happening. I'm just playing the odds here, too, and saying that at the beginning of the season, if you'd asked me, I think these teams will split their head-to-head matchups. So that's got to be advantage Seattle. And also Seattle defense, as you said, being 
so much better than they were just a couple of weeks ago. Also, to be perfectly honest with you, in my biased opinion, I'm a dedicated Jared Goff hater. And you know what? <laughs> like, I, I like the, the direction that's going. So <laughs> I'll take the Seahawks. <laughs> this is a very nerdy episode and it's devolving into just, <laughs> you've got your math tie. We've got our process too. Shaking yeah. our to the clouds. Yeah, yeah, no, and and uh, my math does like a Rams bounce back. They've been hot and cold, very difficult to predict all year long. You know, which Rams team is going to show up, which Jared Goff is going to show up. Certainly, you look at the Rams losing to the Jets last week and the Seahawks, the Seahawks beating the Jets 40-3 to the week before. Everything points toward the Seahawks, uh, but I, again, I do like McVay. Goff has bounced back from adversity already. I do think they're going to have some frustration, and I do think they're going to take it out on a Seahawks team that also has not been consistent. I'll take the Rams here. Tennessee Titans getting three and a half at the Green Bay Packers. One of the things that I believe separates, you know, us national analysts, you know, sort of the the cream from the rest. I was going to say men from the boys, but I have too much respect for Samantha to say that. Um the Packers are statistically good against the run. And so I've already heard people break down this game and say, yes, the Titans have Derrick Henry. Yes, it's Derrick Henry in December, but the Packers are great against the run. When you actually watch the Packers play, they're not good against the run at all. Statistically, uh, Aaron Rodgers just gets into boat races with other teams. And so you can't run the ball when Aaron's going to put 40 against you, or you're worried that Aaron's going to put 40 against you. So you put in more passes than runs. You, you don't get to run from the third quarter on because you're trying to play catch up. That's why the Packers are statistically good against the run. When you actually watch the games, the teams that have slowed things down on the ground, not given Aaron Rodgers the ball quite enough. That happened in Indianapolis, happened in Minnesota when Minnesota got that upset. Uh, that's going to happen this week. I think this game trends toward Derrick Henry having an absolute monster day, and people are going to say, what happened to the Packers' run defense? But anyone who's watched that run defense all season long knows that this is what's going to happen. I think this is the game where the Packers are going to get a little bit exposed. I've been saying for weeks that they haven't really played anybody, that they haven't beaten anybody who impresses me because their schedule just hasn't put them in a position where they had to do so. This is the first time in a while that we've seen them against a really tough opponent. And I got to tell you, I don't love their chances. Um, Titans are actually the number one scoring offense right now. Number two yardage offense, number two rush offense. So, okay, I, you can say okay, but Aaron Rodgers, okay, but Aaron Rodgers. And that's a valid point. But I just think that when you take into account the fact that you have to look at the whole team, not just the one guy, so we're not just talking about Derrick Henry versus Aaron Rodgers, Titans, far and away the more complete team. I think this is the week where everybody kind of starts looking at Green Bay after this game and says, huh, probably not as strong as a number of a number one seed as maybe some people thought. Totally agree with both you guys. Tennessee has a great shot to win this game. And even if Green Bay wins, I don't see them blowing out. Uh, Green Bay Packers at home, Aaron Rodgers. Do they probably find a way to win? Yeah. But is that 30 to 27? Is that 37, 34? I think quite possibly. I don't see a, a touchdown or more wins. I'll take the Titans against the spread here. Buffalo Bills, last one. I, I can't even say this out loud. The Buffalo Bills are seven-point favorites at the New England Patriots. And it doesn't matter because here we are in week 16 and the, the Patriots are already eliminated from the playoffs. 
Yeah, if you had told me five years ago that this was the line, I would have assumed that the Patriots had locked up the number one seed and yes. were playing, yes. you know, some Division two quarterback uh, <laughs> to rest Brady for a couple of weeks. Um, I understand all the reasons it's sort of going to play out to, you know, the uh, Bill Belichick probably has this Josh Allen plan figured out and, and maybe people are going to lean Patriots here because the Bills, uh, you know, don't have that much to play for they're certainly going to the playoffs so do they you know sort of go easy whatever you have to think there but I I don't think that's the case uh I've watched this Bills team too closely and I know that they're going to get too much enjoyment out of curb stomping the Pats in in a game like this one I think the Pats break like a folding table in Buffalo this is going to be a a big win for Buffalo this is absolutely the sort of vulturey opportunistic chance that the Bills have been waiting forever for just to rub their noses in it, really stick it to them. I mean, you can sit there and say, okay, is New England giving up? I actually don't think that they are. I don't think Bill Belichick is even capable of that. It's just not in his DNA. And if we were just talking about game plan here, then sure, I'll take Belichick over anybody. But that defense is just atrocious. They've been decimated by COVID opt-outs, by injuries. They just can't do a thing here, I think, against Josh Allen and the Bills. I will take the Bills here. All I can picture is Bill Belichick quoting the Animal House speech at the end. He's like, I think this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. Uh, we saw them play the Bills really, really close earlier this year. Everybody's written the Patriots off, not just mathematically, but also kind of as an organization. Cam Newton's a bad fit. They've got no talent on offense or defense. They haven't drafted a usable player in four years, yada, 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 yada. I think Bill Belichick still knows a thing or two about football, and it would not surprise me at all for, again, an absolutely pointless statement victory by a team that's got nothing left to play for. You know what? We have a lot to play for. We have a lot to talk about. We have been going into your ears for weeks now, and we could not appreciate the opportunity more. Your five-star ratings tweets, social shares, follows have been huge for us. Please, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, we're now on iHeartRadio, whatever your podcatcher is, please help us keep that momentum going. Rate us, review us, follow us, share on social media. Thank you so much to everyone who's done so already. Thanks again to Ross Simmons at the coolest cool for taking time out to talk to us. Make sure you are subscribed on that podcast podcatcher so you don't miss our key takeaways on monday remember if you want to know what's going on in the nfl you've got to check out the brawl 22